with us, and um, we're finishing almost. We have a few more weeks left in the book of Acts, and the Lord's been teaching me a lot. I hope he's been teaching you um, very good things, but I want to pitch a question this morning because we're kind of in the middle of Paul speaking to a lot of different people and a lot of different reactions to him, and I want to ask this question. What does it mean to speak for Jesus? Especially now in our culture where we, we experience uh, people, their responses to us or their lack of a response or maybe just a coldness. How do we speak for Jesus? Uh, last week, we left Paul in this place of violence, people hurting him for who he is and what he is saying. And so I want to do something. I want to add an addendum to uh, my last point last week. Before we jump into this week's text, I want to add something, and it's this. Sometimes, and this is good for me, good for me to, uh, to learn how to do this. Uh, words are important. Context is important. And sometimes you can say something that can come across a little too simple or maybe needs a little clarification. It may not be for you, but it's important enough. Somebody, a friend shared with me, and I felt like this is important enough to say I painted a picture of this moment, and he's still in this moment. We're going to see this today, where Paul is, he's being beaten. And somebody, I painted this picture of somebody coming at him with a fist. And I asked the question, what is he thinking? And I said, forgive or fight? That right there could be taken in so many ways. And so I want to offer moment of clarity, because forgiveness can be a long process, can't it? It can be a long, lengthy process. I've also heard forgiveness described as entrusting someone's heart to Jesus, even though they are still hurting you. And so I want to say this to those of you who may be in an abusive situation, physical, verbal, do not hear me saying, you just need to forgive them. But that has been said in churches. Churches are coming under scrutiny. The church in the West is coming under, I think, good scrutiny and critique because of potentially covering up. Well, you just need to forgive him. You just need to jump back in there. And so I don't want that to be heard. I want to say that forgiveness is a a lengthy process, but you can entrust the Lord with that person while getting yourself to a place of being safe. And I want you to know that this is a safe place. And if, uh, if there's something you would want to talk to me or somebody else here about those things, it's important for you to be safe. And so just, I wanted to add that on because I didn't want confusion. And I don't want somebody saying, oh my goodness, is he saying I just need to forgive, even though I'm totally being physically abused or emotionally, verbally abused? No, it's not okay. It is not okay. So felt like that was important to say. Some may not agree. That's okay. I, I felt the conviction from the Lord to say it. Because Paul is still going to have the same thing happen this week. And he's actually going to respond in different ways to different people. And so it's important to ask the question, what does it mean to speak for Jesus? I love this picture because I think this is kind of what it feels like to speak for Jesus. The Lord's like, here you go. And you're like, um. And it feels like being a little kid in front of a massive group of people who are like, let's see what you got to say. Can you, can you speak to us? Can you communicate to us? I want to feel that tension. I do feel that tension. I was driving to work this morning and actually saying, Lord, does this work? <laughs> does this work? 
Can you change hearts? Why does it sometimes feel like you don't? And that it takes so long. Jesus said to us in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So guess what? I'm sending you with that authority to do what? To represent him, to speak for him, to be ambassadors for the kingdom. The living word has sent us to represent him. So how do we do that? When should we speak? What's supposed to happen when I speak for Jesus? Is it to be a perfectly pitched, logically sound, well-reasoned speech in a debate setting? Some think so. Like that's the best venue to convince somebody. Well, what if your unbelieving friend isn't interested in a debate? That's becoming more and more the case, especially with the younger generation. They're like, that's fine. Your, your debate world is great, but I'm not really interested in a debate. You have your debate. Fine. I don't really care. So then what do we do? Is it to be an excoriating slew of words that pummel your enemies into submission? Some think so. Some talk that way or post that way or hold events that gather others who are like, yeah, get them. Or is it to be a gentle plea? Thunder and lightning or a rain that softens a hard heart over time? Does the Bible tell us exactly how to do it? Well, kind of. <laughs> but not exactly the way we prefer in our Western sensibilities. But we do get a person here today. We get Paul. We get Paul. And I'm learning to look at scripture in this way where you're watching somebody do this. He's speaking, he's testifying, he's proclaiming, he's compelling. Sometimes he's laying into people. He's clever. He's got wisdom. Other times he says, I'm out. How do we know what to do? Because this isn't just Bible history. It's, it's our history. That image that James had a few weeks ago of the string still is stuck in my head. Because we're sitting here today because Paul did this. We're, we are the Gentile nations, for sure. You actually think church is important today because Paul chose to hang in there and to speak for the Lord. So I want to know what he was thinking and how he did it. I want to know what it means for me to teach. So where are we? If you haven't been here, Paul is in Jerusalem. He knows Jesus. He believes in him. There are people who don't like this. There's a mob. There are thousands. He's in chains. There are Roman soldiers. And he's literally standing there and they're wanting to beat him up. They're wanting to stop him. And that's where we pick up. And so the text is going to say a lot today. There's a lot of text. And I'm not going to say a ton about things that are really clear just as we read it. But I want you to lean in and I want you to, as we do, just say, okay, Lord, I want to watch. I want to hear your voice as we listen to Paul. So Acts 21, we're starting, picking up at verse 37. Let's let the word of God speak to us. I believe there's power just in reading. I believe there's power in the Holy Spirit using the reading of God's word to get your heart 2137, as he was about to be brought into the barracks. So the commander's like, let's get him out of here. Paul said to the commander, am I allowed to say something to you? He replied, you know Greek? I thought you were this Egyptian who started a revolt some time ago and led 4,000 men of the assassins into the wilderness. Paul's like, not quite. 
That's not me. He says, I'm a Jewish man from Tarshish of Cilicia, a, a citizen of an important city. And so I just want to ask you, can I speak to the people? You mean the, the people who just were beating on you? Yeah, I, I would like to speak to them. Verse 40, after he had given permission, interesting that Paul asked for permission from a secular government official to speak. Paul stood on the steps and motioned with his hand to everybody in a great hush. And he addressed them in Aramaic. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense before you. And they were like, what? He's, he's speaking in our language. So they became even quieter. He continued, listen, I'm a Jew, just like you. I was born in Tarshish of Cilicia, but I was brought up in this town. This is my town, Jerusalem. Just as all of you are today, I persecuted this way of Jesus that I'm talking about today. To the death, I arrested people, men and women. I put them in jail. High priests can tell you. They can tell you about me. I received letters. I traveled to Damascus. Letters meaning I got a hit list. I have names. I was going to Damascus with names to get certain people who I know were committed to Jesus. On the way to Damascus, I was traveling, approaching Damascus about noon, an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. I fell to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, who are you, Lord? He said to me, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, the one you're persecuting. Now, those who were with me saw the light, but they didn't hear the voice the way I did. I said, what should I do? The Lord told me, get up, go into Damascus, not to kill people, not to arrest anybody. There you're going to be told everything that you've been assigned to do. Just let that sink for a minute. Everything you've been assigned to do. Since I couldn't see... Because of the brightness of the land, I was of the light. I was led by the hand by those who were with me. I went into Damascus. Some, someone named Ananias, a devout man according to the law. He had a good reputation with the Jews living there. He came and he stood by me and he said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. In that very hour, I looked up and I saw him. And he said this, the God of our ancestors has appointed you. That which you've been assigned to do, that which you've been appointed to do, to know his will, to see the righteous one, Jesus, to hear the words from his mouth. You're going to be a witness for him, for all the people of what you've seen and heard. So now why are you delaying? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins. Have you ever wondered the important parts of what it means to actually respond to Jesus? Get up right now. Let your sins be washed away. Be baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus. Call on his name. Call on his name. After, verse 17, after I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple. I fell into a trance. Saw him telling me, hurry, get out of Jerusalem because they're not going to accept your testimony about me. But I said, Lord, they know about me <laughs> that I actually was the one who believed in you, imprisoned and beaten. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I stood there and just approved of it. I guarded the clothes of those who were doing it. I was all in in persecuting. He said, go because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. They listened to him up to this point. 
And then they raised their voices again. They shouted, wipe this guy off the face of the earth. What are you supposed to do at this point? He should not be allowed to live. As they were yelling, flinging aside their garments, throwing dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, directing that he be interrogated with the scourge to discover the reason they were shouting. So they're going to whip him to get him to tell the real truth of why they're mad at him. As they stretched him out for the lash, Paul said to the centurion standing by, is it legal for you to scourge a man who is a Roman citizen and, and is uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he was like, oh no, what? What are you going to do? This man is a Roman citizen. Commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, he said. It's like, wow, you know what? I actually bought my citizenship. That's how important it was to me. And Paul goes, yeah, I was born a citizen of Rome. Interesting. So those who were about to examine him drew, withdrew from him immediately. The commander too was alarmed when he realized Paul was a Roman citizen and had bound him. So there's lots of talking happening to different people, different audiences. You've got a commander. He's asking for permission. You've got a big crowd, a mob. They're listening for a little bit. Then they're not listening. They're mad. Then the commander is going to beat him, whip him to get answers. Then he doesn't. Paul's story is astonishing. And he repeats something that we've, it's not the first time we've heard it. If you've been with us in Acts, he, he actually tells this story earlier in Acts. He didn't believe, he pursued, arrested, persecuted, even approved of those who were killed because of Jesus. Now he has been saved and is the voice for Jesus to the Gentiles. Paul's story is amazing. Your story is amazing. I don't know if you know that. Even if it's unfinished, your story is to be something that God wants to use. And so there's a ton of stuff in here, but that was where God just honed me in of my story and your story. What chapter is he writing in you right now? Jesus' stories, if going back to Matthew 28, are vital to the kingdom of God. Your story is vital to his work and mission to somebody else coming to know him. But we got to ask this question, is this the right venue? A mob, a violent mob, a commander who has you in chains, who then is going to whip you. Paul seems to be trying to squeeze the truth in between a riot and a lashing. I'm just going to get it out, get the truth, and then I'll say I've done what I need to say. Isn't this the very definition of casting your pearls before swine? You guys remember that statement Jesus said, don't, don't throw your truth to people who are just going to stomp on it. Isn't this what's happening? How can we be faithful to Jesus? What can we learn from Paul's story? Sometimes it's as simple as being available to Jesus. We must have the courage to lend our voice and our life to the cause of Jesus. And we can ask a simple question. May I speak? And I don't mean to the people around you. I mean to the Lord. Asking him, may I speak for you? Can I be a voice for you? Paul and Jesus must know that him speaking in this situation to a violent mob isn't going to fix things, is it? They're going to react the way they're going to react. What good is speaking to them? It's merely words. Can words change a human heart? I'll say this, no single moment of speaking well 
even if it's the greatest message you've got, all your ducks in a row, everything can transform somebody who's listening. No single moment. And Paul knew what it was like, though, to be a part of that angry mob. Let's think about him holding the coats with Stephen. People were stoned. People were killed in, under his authority. So he's got a story before Damascus. And this is one of the things I wanted you to hear. Even as he's speaking to these people, they're in this mob and they're violent. And it looks like this is a waste. This is foolish. Maybe you felt the same way about speaking to friends who don't want to hear about Jesus or even living out your faith in public with others to notice. Like they don't like that. They won't like it. Paul stood there in front of a mob. He was part of a mob and he heard Stephen give a speech and then he said, yeah, kill him. But Stephen said something at the end of his speech. Acts 7, 60 is where we hear this story. Stephen spoke to the mob and the Lord and said this. So imagine Paul standing there holding the coats, watching. Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Paul wasn't convinced because the next verse, chapter eight, verse one, guess what it says? Paul agreed with putting him to death. Agreed with putting him to death. So what is the point of speaking at all to people who are opposed to Jesus? Now, when you ask these questions, you ever felt that way about trying to talk to others about Jesus? Anybody had any bad experiences trying to talk about Jesus? Any people just decide not to do it at all? Right here, right here. Sometimes I'm like, this past week, actually, I was praying for an opportunity. Certain group of people. I walked in, I was like, I'm ready. I can do this, I can do this. And I walk in and it was like, mm, doesn't seem to be the right moment. Do you ever have that? That's, that's the, those are the questions I'm asking as I'm watching Paul do this. Do I wanna just charge in? Do I just need, I just need to say something. I know that's not the purpose of what we're all being here, but I also, I just want to stand up and say this. And I've, I've done that. I've seen people do that. Maybe you're listening to people around you who are trying to convince you of the truth of Jesus. And you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. But Paul asks to speak. But he wasn't really asking the commander. He wasn't even asking the people. He's asking Jesus. He's operating under instructions from the word himself to speak. And here's something I want to say this too. He knows from his own experience, Jesus' stories take time. What is your Jesus story? They have lots of words, sentences, paragraphs, pages, and chapters. Which part are you on? They take time. I say this often to people that ask me to pray for a friend or a family member who doesn't know the Lord and is refusing to know. And this is the thing I will say, how long did it take for you? How many hundreds of conversations and moments in worship services and listening to somebody talk about the word of God or watching somebody represent Jesus in an act of kindness or a moment in worship or prayer did it take for you to get to where you are today? For me, it's thousands. It's thousands. Even in the last few years, I would say three years ago, Chad, way different than today, Chad. Hopefully better. Hopefully more mature in the Lord. <clears throat> Hopefully getting lower in Christ. 
recognizing his importance. But Jesus' stories take time. I heard this quote. I wish I could remember who said it, but I just keep saying it. Becoming a follower of Jesus isn't a magic bullet moment, but a thousand pinpricks. It isn't a magic bullet. It's like, I'm going to, I have exactly what to say. Or have you ever had this where you listen to somebody speak or you watch a movie or you read something? You're like, if only so-and-so could hear this. And you get them to come and they listen and they're like, nah, I don't know. You're like, what? Why didn't the magic bullet work? Where they just believed all of a sudden. A thousand pinpricks. A thousand pinpricks over time. Paul's Damascus Road, that's the magic bullet, isn't it? What else was a part of his story? Stephen saying, don't hold it against them, Lord. Don't hold. Do you think that phrase stuck in his mind over time? And that then the moment when Jesus actually tackled him off the horse and spoke to him, that some of these thoughts came back through? Are you kidding me? You mean that was real? You mean his prayer was heard about me? Even Paul's learning under Gamaliel, which he mentions there. I was the Jew of Jews as far as understanding the law. His understanding of the scriptures, they're vital to his story. They're important to his ability to share with others. So Paul speaks to this tough crowd in this difficult moment. And they don't react well. But I think his words are like dandelion seeds. Poof floating, being carried by the Spirit of God, and he has to trust the Lord with his word. One final piece, though, he doesn't just sit there and take the lashing. This kind of goes back to what I started with. He avails himself to his legal rights as a Roman citizen. Is it legal for you to scourge me? Because I'm a Roman. Can you just do this? When I think about this kind of stuff, and this is difficult because we want to just, I would prefer to be able to go right in with a shortcut for people and not to say, I would like to use the Roman uh, government system here to keep me safe. I want Paul to be able to stand up and go, listen to this. I'm going to read your mail prophetically. I'm going to show you supernatural power. You're going to believe right now. I want a shortcut. I want a supernatural miraculous power to persuade anybody I speak to where they will instantly agree and change their life. No resistance, no pushback, direct route, magic bullet. If Lord, if you can, can guarantee me that, then I'll speak for you. That's what we want, right? Make it easy. Let me Lord, can you just assure me that when it comes to my family, my kids, people that I love, that if I just sit them down and have a nice long talk about the gospel and all the things, that it'll just be over then? They'll just believe. It's good, right? We're done. We don't ever need to talk about this again. You went forward. You got baptized. Great. We never need to speak of this again. It's kind of how we approach sometimes our walk with Jesus. We want the quick. The cross of Jesus has to be the longest most scenic and roundabout way of doing something. It takes time, but it is his way. And praise the Lord, he's patient with us. He's patient with us. He waits for us. We need to be able to wait for other people, even if they're not responding. Be okay with being a gentle rain in somebody's life. Be okay with it. So Jesus wants me to speak. Okay. Can we have a more efficient and effective way? 
Maybe if Paul could just get before a nonviolent group of people, not so mob-like, things would be different. Look at verse 30. The next day, since he wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and instructed the chief priests in the Sanhedrin to convene. He brought Paul down, placed him before them. Nonviolent, educated, law-abiding. Okay, we're going to get somewhere now. This isn't a mob, right? Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience to this day. Okay, okay. This is a, this is a good, reasonable conversation. The high priest Ananias ordered those who were standing next to him to strike him on the mouth. Oops. Well, that went downhill so fast. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Now we're like, okay, this is, I can get on board with this. I like this kind of speaking. You are sitting there judging me according to the law. And yet in violation of the law, you are ordering me to be struck. Those standing nearby said, do you dare revile God's high priest? And then Paul surprises me again. I didn't know brothers, that he was the high priest. Now, my first thought there is, really? Really? I didn't know he was the high priest. It's written, you must not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Wow, I'm confused. Whitewashed wall! I'm sorry. How do we do this? How do we speak for people, to people about Jesus? Then Paul realized that one part of the group were Sadducees and the other part were Pharisees. And so he cried out in the Sanhedrin, brothers, I'm a Pharisee, son of Pharisees, and I am being judged today because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And that did it. That was like throwing a grenade in the middle of the group. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the assembly was divided. They forgot all about Paul. The Sadducees say there's no resurrection. There's no angels, no spirit. But the Pharisees say that there are. The shouting grew loud. Some of the scribes of the Pharisee party got up and argued vehemently. We find nothing wrong with him. So how interesting. <laughs> the guy they all hated. Nothing wrong with him, but we're really mad at you. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? There are no such thing as angels. Okay, this is how it's exploded. When the dispute became violent, the commander feared that Paul might be torn apart by them and ordered the troops to go down, take him away from them and bring him back into the barracks. So you were in chains, you went to the barracks, then you got released, and now we got to put you back in the barracks. This is so fun. Verse 11, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, have courage, for as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so it's necessary for you to testify in Rome. How do we know when to speak difficult in your face truth? How do we know when to back off, even apologize? How do we know when to creatively change the subject or to bow out in peace? These passages show us why it's so important to understand this book from the multiple angles that it's coming from. You don't take a narrative like this and immediately draw a conclusion. Anytime somebody comes against me, I am free to call them a whitewashed tomb. But people do, we do this though. We'll like say some rebuke you. And they're like, what does that even mean? Nobody uses that word. I don't know, but rebuke you for rejecting me, rejecting Jesus. You whitewashed tombs. Nor do we immediately just back down 
if people are rejecting. Scripture is a collection of writings. You may know this. Historical narrative and story, prophecy, poetic literature, wisdom literature, letters to churches, letters to individuals, apocalyptic literature. By the way, in a few weeks, we're starting the book of Revelation. Yeah, very excited. Apocalyptic literature and gospel accounts, all designed to lead you to one conclusion, that Jesus is the one who loves you and can fix both the brokenness of your life because of sin and death and of the world, of his kingdom. So we have to be careful with prescriptive applications when we read a passage like this, like deciding, well, anybody who rejects Jesus, I can just call him a bad name. Or, and this one I've heard, I can justify getting mad and violent. And I've heard this one the last few years, several times. In fact, if there's one verse that people say to justify rising up against whatever, it's this one. I can get mad. Jesus turned over tables. Have you heard that one? So often, that's the one verse. That's the one verse we have. I'm mad here and I'm flipping out because Jesus turned over tables. We can't do that. We can't make those kinds of just black and white prescriptive applications. So then we ask, what is going on then? What should we do with a story like this? What can we glean by thinking about and meditating on these stories of Paul being a representative for Jesus? Why is he even wasting his time with any of them? Why the need to honor corrupt leadership? Brothers, I'm here today because like he knows that they're falsely following their own way. Broken temple system. The answer is difficult and it's complicated. Jesus' stories take time. There's lots of words, sentences, paragraphs, chapters, even multiple books sometimes. When I observe Paul's strategy here, it reminds me of the words of Jesus. I'm sending you out like sheep surrounded by wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Jesus' words are for us as well as we listen to his voice and speak for him. We should strive to be wise serpents and innocent doves. Wise and innocent. So Paul begins here with a formal honoring address and a plea of his good conscience before the Lord, which seems like an awesome way. And then he just gets slapped. From there, he and I don't know, this is where I'm asking this as I think about this, because I started to learn, like, just because it says it in here, they did something doesn't mean it's exactly what everybody should do. So I don't know if this was a quick Paul just reacting to getting hit and upset because he reacts, I think, with the whitewashed tombs phrase, accurate of who they are for sure. Whitewashed tombs is like on the outside, you look really pretty, but on the inside, you're full of death. That's what he's saying. But then, so it's, it's correct and it's accurate, but then he, res, he kind of apologizes for dishonoring the high priest. And then he throws in the biggest red herring you've ever heard. If you don't know that phrase, it just means a big distraction, a decoy, whatever you want to call it, it works. I believe in the resurrection. And then they flip out. I think this was a brilliant tactic in this moment. This is what God was asking him to do because he's in conversation with Jesus. May I speak? What should I say? How should I say it? Who should I talk to? When? When should I back out? When should I speak with intensity? When should it be gentle? And God says, yeah, throw him the resurrection. This will get you out of here. And so that's what he does. He just throws it in there. 
So not everything requires that we speak or give our opinion. There are times we need to listen, times that we need to listen to the spirit, to others, to his word, and allow Jesus to do his thing over time. Not a magic bullet, a thousand pinpricks in somebody's life, but you could be several of those pinpricks. Okay, you could be in your words and the way that you treat people. And it could be both that you have moments with people that you love that are intense. And you're saying, hey, you're missing the Lord here. And other times where you are loving them without intensity. And it's just a gentleness that you're coming alongside of them in their brokenness. So it may mean silence or asking good questions, sharing your story, your Jesus story of transformation genuine interest in another person's life or bowing out. I'm out. This is not where I need to be. We falsely think that if we just say the right thing, somebody will change their mind. If I just say it right, somebody will change their mind. So I keep asking, what was the point then? They didn't. The mob didn't. The Sanhedrin didn't. The commander didn't. What was the point? Verse 11 tells us, Jesus stands beside him and says, hey, well done. Well done. Yeah, but Lord, did we accomplish anything here? They hate me. They hate you. Not all of them. Give me time. Give me time to work. Here's another question. Have you ever wanted to, have you ever had where you speak to somebody and you feel like you did a really good job and you've actually put a lot of time into it and then they don't respond and they get mad and you want to just write them off to say they'll never, and I'm angry about them and they're just rejecting the Lord and, and you kind of give up. The Lord would say, Hey, don't do that. Don't do that. Last few verses, verse 12, when it was morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. Oh, <laughs> just that little small thing. There were more than 40 people who had formed this plot. These men went to the chief priests and elders and said, hey, we've bound ourselves under a solemn curse that we won't eat anything until we've killed Paul. So now you, along with the Sanhedrin, bring him down here. Just quietly bring him down. Ask, tell him you're going to ask some questions that you're just doing investigation. You just want to know a little bit more. And when he gets close, we'll take care of the rest. But the son of Paul's sister, hearing about their ambush, came and entered the barracks and reported it to Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander because he has something to report to him. So he took him, brought him to the commander and said, the prisoner Paul called me asked me to bring this young man to you because he's got something to tell you. Commander took him by the hand, led him aside and inquired privately, what is it you want to tell me? The Jews, he said, have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down here. They're pretending like they're going to make some careful inquiry. Don't let them persuade you because there are more than 40 of them lying in ambush. Men who have bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They're ready, waiting for your consent. So the commander dismissed the young man, instructed him, don't tell anyone that you have informed me about this. So a conspiracy to kill Paul, not new, I don't think, but still intense. People that won't eat or drink until he's dead. But then something beautiful happens. And again, it's about speaking 
with Jesus and hearing his words and knowing what to do in different moments, somebody else is talking to Jesus about Paul and willing to lend their voice to him. And honestly, guys, sometimes I read this stuff and it just makes me laugh and I get blown away. Because you think about Paul, it's like, Paul, it's Paul. It's like, he's like almost a statue, you know, like those that you see in museums or just like, wow, it's Paul. Paul is Uncle Paul. Paul has a sister. He's got a sister. I, I read this this week and I was like, Paul has a sister. He's got a sister. Big bro, little bro. I don't know which one. One thing it made me think about, and this is something that God's been just really showing me a lot. I'm reading a lot of excellent material, different things um, on women in the scripture. But the Lord, man, he is so sneaky and secretive and uses women so often in this way in scripture. Like I'm seeing it everywhere. God is using, they were the first witnesses. They were the first ones being trusted with the resurrection, trusted it to the women to tell the men right here. You've got somebody who is listening to the Lord, who is speaking to the Lord, because if it's a good conspiracy, you can't just easily find out about it, right? We're all still asking about JFK. We're still asking questions. I grew up, I wasn't even alive when it happened. And I grew up and I was like, every book I could read, I was like in the new documentaries, I'm like, it was the magic bullet, right? You know, like everything, you're just trying to figure out what's going on. Nobody knows. So if it's a good conspiracy, you can't just be like, hey, I just heard this. They were talking about it in the street. No, it was secret. So Paul's sister is playing an integral part and she's hearing things in secret and she's got a nephew and she says, my son, Uncle Paul is in trouble. Go. I think this is one of the coolest moments in all of scripture. I just, I love it. It's the stuff of movies. So the Lord gives secret intel to his, to Paul's sister, who then sends her son and a conversation happens. Not to a huge group, not to an angry mob, not even in a formal, hey, let me give you a defense of the way of Jesus kind of way. It's just a mom and her son who happen to be related to Paul but also connected to Jesus. Real simple stuff, guys. Real simple stuff. You want to use our voice, Lord? What is happening? Okay. I don't think this was without risk for Paul's nephew to do this. This is dangerous. But it's a beautiful combination of prophecy, prayer, speaking to a Roman commander. Can you get any further from the circle of Jesus? Roman commander. Yet God will use that guy, because of the information from Paul's nephew, which came also from Paul's sister, to get him where God will need him, to keep him safe. It's incredible. In a beautiful and biblical way, we're getting at the core of how Jesus works in the life of a believer. And here's a core truth at work that I want you to believe. Words spoken in secret are heard loudly in the throne room. Words spoken in secret are heard loudly in the throne room. Your words, your thoughts, your prayers are a treasure to Jesus. When you direct your words to him, when you start to speak and say something to the Lord, he eagerly listens. He wants to know what you think and he wants to tell you 
the secrets of the kingdom. You matter. Your words matter. You may feel like your prayers and the things that God is teaching you aren't important and that you're just, you know, low on the totem pole in the kingdom. That is not how the kingdom of God works. That is not how it works. Hear God's heart on your thoughts and your prayers, your longings, your unfulfilled desires. Maybe you can't even put words to them, but you feel it. I'm, I have, I'm carrying those things right now in my heart. Things that I am longing for, I don't have answers for. And I just, all I can do is just be like, Lord, ah, this is difficult. This is hard. He treasures those. He treasures those. He hears them. And not just, yeah, put that on the pile in the back room of heaven where they store all the papers and all the prayers. Yeah, where, where was that one? Flip through a million files and dusty, blow the box off. We got to find that prayer from that weird person in Winona, Chad, you know, that guy, he said something. No, your prayers make it to the throne room. Throne rooms are where kings sit, where decisions are made. And these are eternal decisions, things that matter for eternity. So Paul's sister and nephew risked their lives for Jesus, but they do it in a really simple way. You want to have my voice? Okay, mom, I'll say something to the Roman commander. I'll say something to the Roman commander who took my uncle prisoner. Sure. Simple, but a crucial part in the Jesus story that's being formed around the different people that are there. And we know in the New Testament, there are centurions, there are Gentiles, there are people that you would say never. There are people who held the coats that were killing Christians that you would say, no way will that guy ever know Jesus. The Jesus stories are taking time, but God uses really simple things like your voice in somebody's life to speak to them. Their little contribution kept Paul safe and able to continue to spread the gospel of Jesus. So we finished with this. He's safe for now, but you're kind of left in limbo. And it's, it doesn't ever reach this. I, I don't know about you, but with stories or movies or books, I kind of like, I don't like the ones that end dark. I like the feel good. I like, you know, I'm okay with the darkness in the middle and the plot and the difficult things, but I want like, yeah, victory. And you kind of heard it there with Jesus saying, hey, you spoke for me in Jerusalem and that was a good thing. And you're going to speak in the same way in Rome. And I would have been like, do you mean like, when you say same way, do you, do you mean like, Lord, am I going to, Oh, I, I mean, that's what he's at. Like, it's not just like, yeah, you're going to, it's going to be great. And they're going to respond. It's not what he's saying, is it? If you read forward a little bit and what happens to Paul in Rome, it's a little in limbo. It's hard to read about. It's not a feel good spot. And we're kind of in that place too, in our culture with speaking for Jesus and living for Jesus. It's easier to not say something. It's easier to take the really bland, non-offensive parts of the Bible and talk about them and not say the things that are difficult, like that God actually says, no, there's actually only one way 
to know me. And that is through Jesus. There's only one way to have your sins washed away. And it's through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. And he really is a king. And he really ascended. And he really does have authority in heaven and on earth. And he's really coming back. And he will judge everyone according to everything that they've done. And you really want to be under his covering of grace and mercy. It's easier not to say that. That, that is offensive. That is offensive. The reason it's called a scandal on, it's where we get the word scandal, an offense, a rock that you either stumble on or becomes a foundation for your life. But one thing for certain, even though it's in limbo and even though it's difficult, he speaks, no doubt. You want to know one thing you can say about today's passage? Paul spoke. <laughs> Paul spoke, and it was probably the worst situation to speak in, but he still spoke. And he actually did it with compassion and wisdom and ability to listen to the Lord. He spoke. He spoke for Jesus on behalf of Jesus. We should too. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for these stories. They are both Amazing and difficult. Lord, they're hard to process. Lord, they're hard to think about what we're supposed to do. And even as we ask those questions, it's much easier just to say, okay, therefore, from today's passage, we should do these three things. And, and I never hear, <laughs> I'm not seeing those things. Um, Lord, I'm, I'm experiencing some of the same tensions that Paul had. But we trust you. And so, God, we just, we come today, Lord, wherever we are in our Jesus story, and we ask for you to speak. We say with courage, maybe, God, you can use my voice, can use my life. I offer it to you. And Lord, would you expand your kingdom uh, with this beautiful way, Lord, that we see here. God, we ask that you would minister to us as we uh, worship in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.